0: Welcome to the Trilogy of Terror podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Trilogy of Terror podcast for a special Christmassy episode. I'm Gore Blimey and today I'm being joined by a special guest to look at three horror films with festive elements in them. That guest is the very lovely Johnny Num, who you may know from the Last Knock podcast, which he does with Billy Crash. So, hi Johnny, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Gore. How are you? I'm doing well as well. Good. Uh, Well, you and Bill, of course, make up The Last Knock. And if I was going to get behind a pair of knockers, it would certainly be you two. So do you want to explain what that's all about and where that weird name comes from?
2: Okay. Um, yeah, we just discuss horror movies, um, usually approaching it from a thematic perspective each week, Um, though sometimes we'll... Uh, do a review episode of something that's getting a lot of buzz or uh, a lot of attention. Um, The name came from a a short story. um, And I, I heard it recalled by Guillermo del Toro on a Bravo's 100 scariest movie moments. Uh, Hopefully some of your fans in the States have seen that he was talking about a certain movie. I forget which one it was, but he said a man, it's the last man on earth. All of a sudden, a knock on the door. So, thus the last knock was born out of that. I see. Okay. So, how long have you been doing that for? Oh, uh, since uh, May of 2013. So, it's been
1: over six years. Mm, that's quite a long time. And it, you make it sound like really intelligent and highbrow. You, you do realise my listeners listen to knob gags and things from me. We're not used to this kind of analytical thematic discussions and stuff like this. So so it should be a treat for them. You know what, Gore? Um your pun game
2: is off the charts, and the pun game is a sign of intelligence. So is that right? Don't, don't
1: sell yourself short, is what I'm saying. Uh it's not a sign of being a dirty old man, then. It's a sign of intelligence. Oh, it's a sign of both, but I, I you know... I'll take that. Yeah, I'll go with that. Well, thank you for joining me for this episode. Um, I've been looking forward to having you on here, actually, because the two of us have got quite different tastes sometimes. I mean, you, you like pussy cats. <laughs> I'm more of a dog person for a start, you know, but I mean, even with horror movies, we don't always agree. I mean, you know, we're not really going to go down raw and Mandy tonight. You know, let's leave those alone. Oh, come on, Gore. Come (laughs) on. I've been through enough with those. Enough. (laughs) Oh, you wait. I'll be talking zombie late to you in a while. Don't worry. Um, So I thought it would be interesting to see if we agreed or we disagreed on films that we'd picked for each other. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at three horror films with Christmas in them, and we chose one each, and the third one is one we both agreed on. My choice is the Finnish movie, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, from 2010. You chose – what did you choose – William Lustig's Maniac from 1980. I'm so glad you said that. For a moment, I thought you were going to say something completely different, but good. (laughs) Phew. And for the final film, we both agreed on Dead End from 2003. So let's start off with my choice first of all. Let's start talking about rare exports.
0: the most magical time of the year, when traditions are honored, and the youngest among us still believe in the spirit of the season. (sighs) Or something else than just plain rocks and dirt. This mountain is like a giant ice box. For storing what? Drill deeper. Bear the dynamite. You have a grave to rob. Mingalize a <small> tourette. Who are you?
3: have Santa Claus. Selitä sille, että meillä on täällä pukki myytävänä. He
0: sees you when you're sleeping.
1: So the the setting of this is we've got a mysterious drilling site on top of a mountain and the events of this are being watched by two small boys and one terrible mullet hairdo um, behind a load of boxes. So they're watching this from behind crates. And there's intriguing clues going on about what's happening and what they're digging for.
0: Gentlemen, listen up. My dream since my early childhood is about to come true. I can proudly say that we are standing on a sacred grave, on the biggest burial mound in the world. Tänne on this remarkable place puts even the pyramids to shape. It took the Sami people of Lapland centuries to build this mount. You have 24 days to open it. Roll up your sleeves. Repair the dynamite. Do what you do best.
1: You have a to rock. And we also see the boys talking about Santa Claus, which is interesting, and they're saying how he's not real, and it's basically just one guy that goes around dressed up in a red robe every year and poses as Santa. Mm-hmm. And this is happening while the explosions are going on on top of the mountain with a digging. Now, the young guy we're following is called, I may say this wrong, but it's Pietari. Yes. Pietary, Pieterie, And he, he starts researching this, you know, notion of Santa Claus in old books. So we get loads of really good drawings in these very ancient books of old Santas with horns. And I, I know Santa with a horn is not something you really want to think about, but you know... <laughs>
2: Um I really like the opening. Um I I'd watched this years ago, but I rewatched it for the purpose of this show. Um the imagery in those book score reminds me a lot of the uh, the Krampus legend. Um and and I thought that was really kind of uh, well taken thematically with the uh, with what the where the film goes basically. So I kind of I kind of like how it sets you up though you're not 100% sure how it's Ooh. going to employ those images and all that folklore.
1: And I think this is before um, all the Krampus films came out because there was like a whole load of them all came out in a short period of time and this predates them from what I remember.
2: Yeah, uh, I guess the big one uh, Michael Doherty's Krampus uh, came out in 2015, which is a, which is a great movie but it you know these two movies they're they're very diametrically opposed very different films yeah
1: so we then go on and we occasionally get this sort of image of um uh, a advent calendar kind of thing, counting the days down to christmas <laughs> and we've got one day to christmas it says and we've got the pietri's pietari's dad Building a wolf trap pit using a pig's head as bait, and um, he then takes Pietari with him, and they join the other local men in. Um, they did name it; I can't remember what they called it, but it's like a big rounding up of the reindeer, which I think is their like source of income. They they kill yes, yeah. these reindeer, and um, but when they get there, there's only two skinny ones arrive, and they find the others. I'm sure they mentioned there's 433 already slain, and there's a huge financial loss. Coming from that, and the boys assume it's because when they were spying on the, the guys at the, the mine were the, the digging earlier, they'd cut through the fence, mm-hmm. and they assume it's because of them cutting through the fence that the wolves had got through and killed all the reindeer, so they think it's them that are at fault right the other thing mentioning about this advent calendar which i quite liked is that at the beginning we don't quite know why pietari looks at his calendar and in the middle of it there's a big set of doors that say 24 for the 24th (laughs) and he starts up the. we we first see him sellotaping or whatever you call it scotch taping sticking them shut at the beginning and then we now see him with a stapler you know, <laughs> to right. make sure they stay close, and he kind of explains to his mullet head friend about the the Coca Cola Santa is just a hoax, and the real one tears naughty kids to pieces. So I'm already liking this just for that alone. This film, but. Uh,
2: yeah, I'd forgotten so much of this movie, actually, that it was kind of nice to come back to it and, and be surprised by it all over again.
1: Yeah. I'm the same. I mean, I watched it a few years ago and I really liked it, but I hadn't seen it for a long time. And then I was watching it this time. I'd got it on Blu-ray and it's just so great. It looks so good because all of the, the, the scenery and the, um you know, it's all these sort of icy uh, yeah. landscapes and things are just amazing. And they've got things like the sunset. And the sun rising, and it's just so beautiful. Really, really lovely. It's a, it's a really impressive film to look at.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is very beautiful looking, and the, uh, the employment of CGI, I know, is contentious uh, in this day and age. But I think they do a really good job using CGI, and it also kind of adds
1: to the fantasy feel of the film. I don't have a problem with the CGI in this. I think there are some things you would be difficult to do without the cgi um, oh, oh, and yeah. make them convincing yeah. but i think the cgi does they, they do a good job with it um you know i mean there there's uh, there's um <laughs> swinging sacks let's say later on um and they're not the ones you're thinking of but uh, you know but things like that wouldn't have been able to to be done without the cgi right be a lot more exciting but no they they would have to be done with cgi but anyway <laughs> um <laughs> we learn that the original santa was frozen in some ice and then buried under a big man-made mountain mm-hmm. and we also see that there's something that's killing some of the mine workers and we hear that whatever it is they dug up it still has a pulse so yeah. it's all very mysterious by this time
2: and and i think there's also that uh, real sense of isolation and you you were talking. You were talking about the dig site and everything. Mm. There's a lot of this movie that I think, in a very well-intentioned and very well-done way, uh, nods quite heavily to John Carpenter's *The Thing*, and I like that about it.
1: Yeah, that's a good observation. The the mining site, especially. I think um, Pietari nips out to go and have a pee, and while he's out there, he notices that the the bait's gone, which is the pig's head that was swinging over the pit. So they go to investigate, and the father glimpses a hand in the pit, but mm-hmm. won't let the son look any further and kind of ushers him away. They mention earlier on the guy who dresses up as in a red cloak and pretends to be a Santa. He sort of turns up on the scene, and he and the father drag this body into the father's abattoir building. Right. And it turns out to be a, a very old man with a beard, wearing a jacket with a passport, which suggests he's one of the mine workers. Mm-hmm. And there's a brilliant bit of dark comedy that comes up next. I really like when they got this body and they're trying to think, how do we get rid of the body? And then both of their eyes scan across and see this electric bandsaw, <laughs> which I think is a great bit of dark humour. But it turns out he's not dead because he, uh, he starts sniffing and he's, he's definitely not dead, the old guy. Meanwhile, we've got an assortment of local thefts going on in the area. So potato sacks, rather than potatoes, are being stolen.
2: And radiators.
1: That's yeah. right. Someone's going around nicking radiators and electrical appliances and things like this. And it's all very mysterious. Pietari goes to find his his mullet head friend and um, <laughs> finds he's been replaced by a creepy straw dummy, which is... Probably got better hair, actually, to be fair. But um, the the guy that was wearing the Santa outfit gets a bit too close to the old man and gets his ear bitten really badly. I don't think he bites it off, but it's quite nasty. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the three sort of dads, the three local men, trying to work out what this naked old man is, because he's naked by this time for some reason, work mm-hmm. out what he is and who he is. So they're kind of hitting him with a broom and asking him in English... For some reason, they think he's going to speak English. And they're asking him about the digging and what's going on. So he he's not responding to anything. Reminded me a lot of Outpost, actually. Do you know the one I mean with the zombie Nazis? Uh,
2: you know, I unfortunately, Gore, the only Nazi zombie film I've seen is Zombie Lake. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have not seen Outpost. I haven't seen any of those movies yet.
1: Yeah. Oh, OK, well, there, there's it just reminded me of that, because at the beginning of that film, they do find someone. I think he might be naked and in a bad state and they assume he's one thing um, and he's not. But uh, anyway, that's gotcha. an aside. Yeah. Pagatari arrives outside. He asks his father to spank him um, for being bad, which I thought was quite nice because that kind of reflected the scene before when they were hitting the old guy and everything. But um, he confesses to cutting the wire fence. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, they have dressed up the old guy in the Santa robe and they're trying to sell him to the mine boss. While they're trying to sell this sort of Santa-type old man, Pietar is with them and sees the the door of the big hangar, hangar 24, and (laughs) recognises the big 2-4, which looks exactly like the doors on his advent calendar. The boss points out to them, this isn't Santa. It's one of his little helpers, which is quite funny, (laughs) considering he's just bitten someone's ear off. Um, And then he's killed along with several other people. But what I will say is the rest of the film, because it's it's nine years old, so I think it's worth people seeing it. And there are still some big surprises to come. Um, All I'll say is it does feature lots of naked old men running in slow motion towards the camera, and watching this in high definition in Blu-ray was quite an experience. And um, let's put it this way. you would never want to eat a walnut whip again. <laughs> um, anyway. Excellent.
2: Yeah. I don't even know what that is, actually. <laughs> I don't think we have
1: them over I, here. Oh, dear. <laughs> wasted. <laughs> wasted. Wasted. <clears throat> There's a very dramatic climax and a very sweet and funny epilogue. And that's kind of all you can really say about the end of it without giving too much away. You know, Gore, I just think it's a really... uh,
2: I hadn't thought of this movie in so long until you brought it up. And I was just, like, reminded of how good it was when I was watching it over again. It's kind of like... It was kind of like watching it for the first time. And there is a line near the end of the movie which I vaguely remembered from the first time I watched it. And when the guy said it again, I was like, Oh, that's, that's the line. And I don't want to say it because it is something of a oh, spoiler.
1: Right. Okay. Um,
2: but it's just yeah. so, his- it's, it's so hysterical. It's like, it's pulled from, uh, you know, it's like, it's pulled from an action movie, basically. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those, but it's so funny and you'll know it when you hear it. But I, I, I just thought it was a great movie overall. I just, uh, I really love where it went and it was I think it was very surprising, you know.
1: Mm. All I was gonna say is I agreeing with you completely. I think it's full of surprises. I think there's some it has some really nice twists and turns in it. I love the fact that it turns the whole Santa Claus thing on its head and yes, makes yeah. makes it into something scary and, and horrible rather than this lovely old ho-ho-ho old man <laughs> um, <laughs> sitting kids on his knee and giving them presents and stuff like this. And you know, it takes that away and completely subverts it. I, I really like all that. And I think it's it's got some great characters in it. The little kid is brilliant in it.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: I love the scenery, um, as I mentioned, the way that the light and the snow and all that. I really like the music as well. There was a lot of very dramatic music all the way through. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I knew I liked it, but I, li- I think this time watching it again, I, I liked it more, actually.
2: Yeah, and you know something, Gore. Just as an aside, I think it's clever in the way it incorporates kind of the uh, schmaltzy themes that we mm. see in a lot of like those Hallmark Christmas movies or whatever. It's like, it, it's like it has that core of you know a boy's relationship with his father and the moms out of the picture. So the holidays are a bit rougher, kind of. Mm. You know, there's there's a bit of that uh, melancholy that that accompanies the holidays. Um, mm. But th- but then you also have the themes of these. The, these men getting together to kind of you yeah. know try try and preserve their livelihood you know it's like it's almost like also like a hey the bank foreclosed on the farm what are we gonna do kind of thing only instead of that it's the reindeer got killed what are we gonna do yeah. you know yeah. you know to uh to persevere um in the next year or so i really like how it inserts those themes but it's not cheesy about it it's not corny but there's also some humor in the film and oh, it's definitely. just like yeah you, you know the emotional stuff hits um but also there, there's some funny bits and it's just very imaginative i think it's you know a very unpredictable unconventional christmas horror film and i think maybe part of that is because it's coming from finland so there's this yeah. also this sense of something atypical than the crappy dress up the slasher as a santa kind of film which we've seen too much of so yeah
1: yeah, no, I think it's lovely. It sort of goes into fantasy and stuff like this. And, yeah, I mean, there's some nice human stories as well. I mean, the the little boy in it, um, it sort of suggests that he becomes a man. I mean, not literally, but, you know, he sort of, you know, oh, yeah. there's, there's a point, you know, where you actually see, you know, he, there's a point anyway where you can see he does something and you think, ah, that's what's happening now. He's, his role changes in the film, which is which is great and... Yeah, Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I think it's one of those that I didn't know what to expect the first time I watched it. I loved it. And as far as horror films for Christmas go, this is probably my favourite. Out of films that aren't horror, do you have a favourite Christmas film? The
2: one I make a point to watch every year is the movie Scrooged with Bill Murray. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's decent choice. Yeah. But it's very dark and very acerbic in a lot of ways, which I think makes it kind of atypical. But but it kind of brings it around in the end. And it's like it's dark, it's caustic. But in the end, it kind of comes back to the whole message of the holiday without being, I don't know, pandering or condescending about it.
1: So. Well, that's interesting, because similar theme to what mine would be. My my favourite all-time Christmas movie is Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. Same basis behind it, but um, sure. never mind all these sort of lovely, you know, lovely films that everyone's got a big soft spot for. It's like, no, that one, that makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got enough of the original story with quotes from the original text in it and everything. Oh, yeah. That it still entertains, you know. Michael Caine is great as Scrooge in that, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, so that was our first film. Let's go and look at the next film, which will be your choice. Hi, I'm Steve Pemberton. And I'm Rishi Smith. And this is the Trilogy of Terror podcast, a local podcast for local
3: people.
0: your doors, but you can't lock the madman out of your mind.
3: Maniac, it will tear the life out of you.
1: So, do you do Christmas in a big way, Johnny? I mean, like decorations and things, do you put out loads? Uh...
2: (laughs) Since, uh, moving in with my, uh, girlfriend, uh, she's hugely into the holiday. Right. Um, so by default, I, I'm kind of finding myself getting more into the holiday. Um, she likes to put up a tree with decorations, lights. Um, she puts out sort of like little runners over like the hardwood surfaces and stuff that are holiday themed. Um, we burn holiday scented candles, uh, Holiday holiday placemats at the table, um, and we generally go out and you know she likes to look at Christmas lights. So actually, it's a new year New Year's Eve tradition of ours that we uh, head out to this kind of rich neighborhood near us and mm-hmm. we just we just we, we just drive around like at five miles an hour, really creepy and <laughs> and and look at the lights on these huge like uh, three hundred thousand dollar houses basically.
1: So so before then. Did you just have a, like a very disappointing Christmas before then? Was it a kind of a bit, you know? <laughs> no, I, mean, I could just imagine you sitting in a, in your flat or apartment or whatever with just you and the cat and a Christmas cracker or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I wouldn't
2: say it was it was disappointing before. It was just maybe more standard issue. Um, I would have Christmas with my my family, um, but it was a bit. Uh, I don't. I don't know how to say it. There's certain things about Christmas that make it not what I would ideally like it to be.
1: If it's not what you ideally like it to be, I'm going to practice my American terminology here. Um, does that mean you were bummed? <laughs> did I did I say that right?
2: Yeah, it 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 could be a bummer at times,
1: Gore. Yeah. yeah, and was yeah. that quite often you got bummed? <laughs>
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I
1: couldn't resist that. <laughs> I, I,
2: I'm feeling really
1: bummed right now, Gore. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have a tree and everything. So you, you oh, well, that's good. I mean, I, I like to put a tree up. I mean, despite having one that's a bit old and tatty, I still did manage to get it up as well. Do you, do you have a fake tree, Gore? Oh, of course. Yeah. But it is all, all glittery and bushy, you know. Hmm. Lots of shiny red baubles and things, you know, all the usual stuff, fairy on top, you know, (laughs) as is my want, you know. (laughs) But uh, anyway, sorry, I'm digressing now. We should be talking about, we should be talking about a maniac, (laughs) not our festive um, shenanigans. Um, So (laughs) do you want to tell us a bit more about your film?
2: You know, it's interesting because in the context of Christmas horror movies, this probably isn't one that pops up immediately to most people. And it wasn't until I rewatched it recently that I was like, "Maniac is a Christmas movie." It
1: is indeed. I completely agree. When you when you first mentioned it to me, I was thinking, "Really? <laughs> Have you seen a, another version of it or, or something?" But it's, uh, you're absolutely right. Yes, there are lots of lots of reasons why. But yes, yes, do continue.
2: And the story, I mean, the story wise, it's pretty straightforward. It's basically uh, what the title says. You're following around uh, New York City actor Joe Spinell, who popped up in uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese movies throughout the 70s and 80s. And he's a crazy guy with mother issues. And he takes out his psychoses on a series of unsuspecting women. And the movie really isn't. I feel like saying it's not much more than that,
3: actually.
1: Yeah. I mean, some people have kind of described it as a slasher movie. I I don't know. Do you think it is? Um, uh, I almost
2: think you do it a slight disservice calling it that. Um, Mm. I I feel like uh, when I first saw it, I didn't like it. Um, And revisiting it this time, I found more of interest, I guess, in it. Um, I think it really digs into the character's psychology, um, in a way that was probably a bit, uh, atypical of the time it came out. Um, and this was like the same year as Friday the 13th. So a lot of those yeah. slasher yeah. cliches hadn't, hadn't become like overused yet. This kind of, I think helped establish a lot of things that would later become cliches as the, eighties uh, continued. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it, uh, Definitely is part of that genre, but it's I think a bit more ambitious in the fact that it's not really uh, a plot centric uh, film. It's more kind of like a series of couple incidents, and yeah. uh, you know, and throughout it's just kind of threaded together through this character and his voiceover narration, his groaning and his muttering to himself, and in a sometimes a
1: feminine voice because he's hung up on the death of his mother. Um, it's an interesting one because I, again, it's one I'd seen a while back, a long time back, and I'd forgotten a lot of details and I watched it again. And I thought, well, it's actually, it's a lot better done than I thought it was. You know, um, if you just dismiss it as a, as a psycho running around killing people, it's not just that. It's, I like the kind of character driven bits of it. You know, this, I mean, how realistic it is. I don't know, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but there's a lots of interesting things. And, There's lots of things I don't necessarily understand first time you watch it, but it's the sort of thing I'd think about. I mean, whoever did the set design in this, I I love it. You know, his his flat, his apartment... Um, It's creepy. You've got dolls everywhere, mannequin limbs, and there's a load of lit candles in front of a big picture of of a woman, I I presume could be his mother, Um, to this big picture. And it's like a kind of a shrine to her. But at the same time, there's a picture of the virgin and child next to it. And I think that's interesting. Is that his perception? But at the same time, we also know that he's got scars on his chest because we see Mm -hmm. them at one point. Yeah. And there's a later part where he talks to a child mannequin as if it's him as a child. He says to it, do what mummy tells you to. And he he sort of stubs out a cigarette on its chest. And so it's kind of reliving this sort of yeah. his childhood. So, you know, he's got this very damaged childhood from her. So he's sort of, yeah, he has a very interesting relationship with his mother. I think it kind of echo some of the the character of Norman and his mother with his inner voices of the, the sort of dialogue they have, the conflict in his head and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know whether that is going back to Ed Gein, who was an inspiration for Psycho. But there's other things that I found interesting relating back to that, like... He's got on his door, there's a load of faces cut out from posters or magazines or something. And he's cut the eyes and the mouths out Mm -hmm. like they're sort of masks. And and that reminded me of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Leatherface and stuff, which again is inspired by Ed Gein. So there were were bits like that that did make me wonder if it's coming from the same story or thought or inspiration or something. I don't know, but I found it interesting looking for all these little bits and pieces, sort of trying to piece them together.
2: Yeah. And I, I agree with that, Gore, because uh, I found myself, uh, in trying to justify this selection for the show, I'll admit that part of my notes are like observing what are people wearing? Like, are they wearing sweaters because it's cold outside? Um, are there Christmas trees and stuff like that? But I think, uh, to what you were saying, I think there's a lot of psycho and a lot of, uh, possibly Texas chainsaw going through this. Um, and, uh, I think it kind of ties into the uh, whole Christmas holiday thing in the sense that, uh, you know, it's a tough time for a lot of people, and it's obviously a tough time for for Frank, played by Joe Spinell. Um, and who is to say that maybe it's inc- maybe it's incidental that this film was shot in winter time, mm. and th- mm. therefore there was a lot of Christmassy stuff already around, or if they. We're deliberately trying to make a point in how the holidays are tough for a lot of people, maybe because of the absence of a family member or because there's some unresolved familial conflict that makes it harder to go back home um, or to kind of face, you know, your mom or dad, whatever you're kind of holding back kind of. So I think that's an interesting part of it as well. And there's just a sense of... uh, I was going to say there's a sense of depression about the whole yeah. a- apartment, yeah. uh, you know, because the Christmas tree he has, there's no decorations. It's just a bare fake tree in his apartment. And there's the depressing music box that plays Silent Night. <laughs> it uh, does, yeah. yeah. A- and there's also there's also a shovel hanging on the wall, which I think has a, a, an image from a Charlie Brown Christmas on it. Oh, right. well. I didn't spot that. So it 's just a lot of these random, sad little things that also kind of underline his uh, infantilism kind of yeah, you know.
1: yeah, yeah, I was trying to look at the stuff in the back because he's he says he 's an artist at one point, and um there 's a lot of interesting bits and pieces of artwork around, and I was trying to get a good look at some of them, but you couldn 't quite make out what some of the words are on them and things like this, but there 's some interesting stuff there i mean there's there's also things that are quite telling like there 's um a sort of a centrefold type um, new yes. picture and uh, there's like the sexual bits have been kind of scratched out with something which is yeah. sort of interesting as well you know and he, he talks a lot about owning and keeping women and you know and all this and there's, there's a lot of that I mean he has a whole conversation with Anna the photographer yes. ab- about what does she do I mean there's a, a, there's a bit of dialogue where he asks her why she photographs women in this way listen
0: do you get to uh, keep them all
1: well i'm hoping to sell them
0: i wouldn't I, i'd keep them forever but, but why i mean part of my profession is to sell photographs it's not all for art's sake you know i know but why do you take pictures of women this way i like to make them look beautiful No, I think it's more to preserve them. You see, the beauty is already in the model. Frank, don't be silly. Listen, I'm the photographer, right? Right. So I should know what I'm doing, shouldn't I? I know, but to me, you know, things change. People die. But in a painting or a picture, they're yours forever. There's no way you can possess someone forever. Even in a photograph.
1: There's no way. Mm-hmm. So he's got this kind of, this way of preserving, keeping and things like this, which which is a recurring theme that seems to keep coming up um, again and again in this.
2: Yeah, and there's also an interesting moment, Gore, to what you were saying, uh, where he's uh, talking in, I guess, his mother's voice to one of the mannequins when he's back at his apartment. It's very strange. He handcuffs himself to the mannequin. And I think then after, yeah, and after that, the scene
1: kind of fades to black. So it's kind of yeah no absolutely that's a scene i noticed as well absolutely he he basically he handcuffs himself to the mannequin and then he sort of sobs himself to sleep it's kind of sad and disturbing at the same time it's is that the moment where he's like saying i'm so happy that's right yes that's the bit he says just before that absolutely that's it it's very weird very weird (laughs) but speaking of weird um Anna, the photographer, who is um, absolutely drop-dead gorgeous to look at. Absolutely. He is kind of a uh, sweaty. <laughs> I mean, he, I'm sure he's, he's lovely <laughs> to someone. I'm absolutely sure. But um, she seems really, really keen to just go out with him just like that. I found that a bit hard to swallow <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Because it, it's not his looks. It's not his charm because he's kind of creepy. I mean... We first see him and her, she first sees him where she's taking a picture of him. There's kids in a park, and uh, I mean, interesting to notice, actually, one of them had a, a red chopper bike, which I was really, like, quite excited about, because in the 70s, I used to have a red chopper. Um, <laughs> what, didn't you get it? Didn't you? I did not. No, did you've not. never fancied getting your hands on a red chopper, No. <laughs> no, okay. but they were they were, really, they were really popular over here. You know, like in the seventies, you used to have them. Um, and yes. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you have a very shattered uh, life, Johnny. Um, I, I I did. Yeah. You did. Um. Still do. Yeah. <laughs> um. He stops the girl for some reason while she's trying to get past. And th- this photographer woman takes a photograph of him and he notices her there. He then goes up and finds her bag with her name and address on it. So when he turns up at her address later on, knocks on the door and um, talks to her, she isn't at all creeped out by this <laughs> this <laughs> strange man she, she saw with these children in the park, turns up without... How, wouldn't you be saying, how the hell have you got my address? What are you doing here?
2: Yeah, I found this very fascinating, Gore, um, this whole relationship between him and Anna. I, I just was it, it, not as not a bit of it makes sense. Um, no. She he he comes to her door. He's like, oh, my name's Frank Zito. You were photographing me in the park. May I come in? She's like, sure. And she just lets him <laughs> in like this is this is New York City. And she lets him
1: in. So, you oh, know, no. I know you. You did, but then she, what I do like then is she not only lets him in, she gives him a cup of imaginary coffee. Did you did you see that? She hands him <laughs> a, she hands him a mug and that's empty, um, which yes. I thought was quite lovely. It's like being back in drama at school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. he he tells her he's he's an artist, and she says she'd really love to see his work sometime, and, I, and he asks her out on a date, and she says yes immediately. Yeah, and he tells her she's the most beautiful woman I've seen since my mum and shows her a picture of his mum and uh, am I the only one hearing alarm bells at this point it's like um, it's it's very much a a red flag it's weird and when they go out on a date um, they go for a meal and she seems she seems to be mashing his cheesecake with a fork at the meal which was a very (laughs) so maybe maybe he's not the weird one but uh, they they have another date in the meantime she's doing a photo session with three models he shows up. He turns up and somehow lets himself in and sits there with a big gift or something. Um, And it's fine. She doesn't seem to find it
2: very odd at all. You know, something that's even more interesting, Gore, is that uh, he eventually kills one of the the models who's at the photo shoot. And and in the next scene, it's uh, him and Carolyn and Roe. Uh, yes. Driving off to visit his to visit the graveyard where his mother's buried, and Carolyn Monroe seems just so nonplussed. She she's just seems oh it was so nice of you to come, <laughs> yeah yeah it's so nice of you to come to Rita's funeral. She didn't have too many friends. She doesn't seem bothered by the fact that one of her models got killed horribly recently. So
1: yeah and the strange man she's with brought flowers for for rita and it's well, like, but he's like only met her that once as far as she knows it's very weird but i'll tell you what was really disturbing about that um the scene with rita in her house and everything like that is um no electric kettle what is it with americans and no electric kettle can you explain <laughs> i don't get that if you need if you want to make a cup of tea you have to put it on the stove is that right yeah, we have to boil a pot, yeah. Why do you not have electric cats? What happens if you sort of wake up in the night and you really fancy a quick pot noodle? <laughs> I mean, what would what, what you do? It. I think this is a uh, cultural difference that we is. have. I never thought America was a, like a third world country before. It's very weird. Anyway, we kept, it's like your kitchen is naked without an electric kettle over here. It's unheard of. It's like having no cooker. Why would you have no Me and my girlfriend both have, uh, we have dual Mr. Coffees
2: because she drinks decaf and I drink uh, regular stuff. So I don't know if that's... Now you're just showing
1: off. (laughs) (laughs) We're a bit bourgeois. What can I say? Well, it sounds like it. Yeah. But um, that's that's a good scene, actually, when he goes into her house, uh, her flat. When she's in the bath, there's a really nice continuous shot of the camera kind of reversing slowly out of the, the bathroom and into the hall and everything. And it sort of does this in one fluid movement. And then it suddenly stops as you see his hand come into shot
2: yeah, it's it's a nice bit of a technique. I did write, make a note of that, too, uh, because I think that's something else that you would eventually see a lot of in the slasher movies that came after it. Uh, and I think another thing we haven't talked about is the uh, nurse and the subway scene. But there's yeah. something, something Lustig does in that sequence is he does a lot of shots of people's feet, like walking kind of, which is something – the next year in Friday the 13th, part two, uh, Steve Miner would use that a lot to kind of build tension and suspense. You would just see the assailant's feet kind of walking around the uh, campground.
1: Um, yeah, the, the, that is a very good scene. The um, the subway scene where she's been stalked by him it is really tense. It's, you know, genuinely a very tense scene. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one of the things that did work really well, I thought, is exactly what you're saying is, for example, she goes onto the, the platform. And um, she looks around and you know he's coming and suddenly you see his feet coming down yeah. the steps, just the feet from the top of the steps. And there's something very creepy about that. Reminds me of American Wealth in London, that the scene there. It's just kind of something about it that's really claustrophobic and very creepy. And um, it's a great scene, you know, and she goes into what you would call the bathroom <laughs> we, Lou, we would think why on earth would they have bathrooms underground in a subway station but uh, especially with no doors either yes, so yeah yeah and yeah. it's in the men she goes but uh, yeah no that was a, that was a great scene mean i i like that one a lot i think they did really well on that one i suppose that's a little bit slashery the way it was done but uh, i thought it was good tension was good yeah it's de- it's definitely more about uh, the build-up
2: and the technique And the building of tension than the actual – the gory payoff of which there is a gory payoff and that. It kind of reminded me of a similar sequence in The New York Ripper where it's a woman alone on a subway car and she gets basically pursued on foot by – this character, but again, she's the only person in the subway. She's the only person on the street, even though this is New York City and that's highly improbable that that would yeah, happen. Yeah. But but again, it doesn't matter because it's just so well done. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so um, moving on towards the sort of the main part of the film, the ending part of the film. We're gonna talk about this with spoilers because it's quite an old film now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we've mentioned before, he goes on another date with Anna and he asks her, can we just stop off at the cemetery? So I want to pop and see me mum, you know, at the cemetery, at the grave. Um, and she's quite happy and chirpy about this. And what could possibly go wrong with a creepy man that keeps turning up at places without knowing the address and um, <laughs> wants to take you to a cemetery at night? yes. They arrive at his mother's grave. Interestingly enough, I did notice behind them there's like a a gravestone or a statue of the Virgin. But then he starts to sob and it's as if he's grieving for someone he's killed. Mm -hmm. And um, at this point, she finally thinks something's not quite right here. (laughs) Grabs a handy spade and whacks him with it and then runs off. And mm-hmm. we then hear him talking to himself, and he's sort of saying, This mother has to punish you, and things like this. Sort of very Friday the 13th, part two ish, sort of, you know, in the um, Amy oh, yeah. in the sweater scene, sort of thing. And then he, he has this, this scene where he's at the grave, and we get a little bit of Carrie. <laughs> that pops up. Yeah, yeah, we, we do. We do. Yeah. So he, he's grabbed by a, his mother's corpse, which presumably is a hallucination because she's not there when we next see it. And then when he goes back to his flat, he sees his mother on the bed beckoning him. The mannequins are looking all very bloody and all. They, well, they were anyway. I mean, they're, they're dead creepy, the mannequins. We haven't really mentioned them. Um, they're creepy yeah. anyway. I particularly like the fact that when he put the scalps on them, he nailed them on. That was really quite a Horrible touch, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They come to life and they go towards him on the bed. They use his weapons, they chop off mm-hmm. an arm, um, they, and they pull his head off in a very, very Tom Savini scene, which reminded yeah. me of there's a similar scene, I think, in Day of the Dead. Um, so they pull his head off, and it's just a bit of a trivia. Um, did you spot the headless corpse in that scene? Um, it was none other than Mrs. Voorhees. Um, from friday the 13th i believe so yeah yeah at the end of friday oh spoilers <laughs> for anyone's not seen friday the 13th but yeah <laughs> where where um, there's a beheading at the end of friday the 13th and the the body with the stump of a neck was used in this as well apparently oh okay but it's the All same because right, yeah. it's tom savini as well so but that's the bye. <laughs> And then we get the final scene where the police burst into the flat and they find him dead on the bed. And he's been stabbed, but it seems to be a suicide. It's not. um, Right. It's not sort of really the mannequins come to life. So that says about his mental health. Carrie has a lot to answer for. um, Because, you know, with these kind of surprise endings and stuff like that, where the closing shot is Frank opening his eyes.
2: You know, Gore, uh, something in regard to the uh, two policemen who show up at his apartment at the end of the film. I love how early on there's a bit of a voiceover dialogue, which seems very obligatory just because they probably felt like they had to address it. It's like, oh, well, there's this maniac who's killed five people so far, and we suspect it's the same person for yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And But the police are stumped, and there's no leads. And all of a sudden, at the end of the movie, these two cops somehow – Maybe, maybe Anna called the cops, even though that's not clearly stated. No. Um, <laughs> no. so, 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 so I don't know, but it just seems so improbable and out of nowhere
1: that the cops came busting in and then they just kind of saw him and walked away. That's, that's the bit I was going to say is because if it's improbable, them turning up is even more improbable that they just come in, looked and sort of, like, oh, OK, and then walked out again. That's <laughs> very odd
2: i've heard people say they're the worst cops in cinema history so you know
1: (laughs) wow they're certainly (laughs) up there i think but um yeah no that's that's great so that was maniac which is the oldest of the the three films so the next one is when we we agreed on together which is dead end yes the trilogy of terror podcast um, talking about Christmassy things, I know that you Americans, you tend to have turkey at Thanksgiving, which is turkey's our traditional meal. We have at Christmas in the UK and we have it with roast potatoes and vegetables and proper gravy and sage and onion stuffing. And I do like a bit of stuffing. You know, it's one of those treats. <laughs> so what what sort of things do you traditionally on Christmas Day over there you know, Gore, uh, around
2: uh, my parents' house, we traditionally have uh, ham oh. and uh, sometimes uh, sweet potatoes um, uh, and the usual kind of uh, vegetable staples. We'll have, like, broccoli. You have staples? Um, and, you know, sometimes you got to pick the staples out of the broccoli. <laughs> you know, otherwise you got to stomach you – know, you get your stomach stapled. But anyway. You're supposed to
1: have them put in by surgery, not by broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 multi-purpose produce in the
2: states
1: i suppose yeah it's interesting because it's over here it's traditionally um turkey it used to be beef years Mm -hmm. and years and years ago but i think it's more turkey everyone seems to have mainly over here and it's interesting hearing some of the stuff you have which we would consider as being quite exotic so you know like um cream corn and um sweet potatoes and things like that which kind of still a bit mm, unusual over here so yeah that, that sounds great how are you with Christmas pudding <laughs> You know what's funny is uh, uh,
2: in in rob zombie's halloween uh, no. malcolm McD- malcolm mcDowell, who you know is 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 british yeah at one at one point he talks about a, a room he's just walked out of with a bunch of college students in, and he says, "Ah, oh, they just looked at me like a bunch of Christmas puddings." <laughs> I have no idea what Christmas pudding
1: is. Can you, can can you please elaborate on this uh, delicacy, gore? I was wondering whether you did or not. It's one of those things that's so traditional. Um, It's, I don't know if it translates over there. It's a very heavy kind of cakey steamed pudding thing. Um, And it's got lots of sweet spices and things. It's usually steeped in brandy and it's Okay. full of dried fruit and um quite often it's has brandy poured over it and is set alight as a sort of a you know a traditional thing and it's it's a bit too rich for my taste it's not my favorite thing but i mean the idea of flaming fruits does appeal i suppose i shouldn't really be a surprise <laughs> i guess but uh i mean what about a, a chestnut's very big over there
2: uh, you know they we have songs about like figgy pudding. we have songs about chestnuts roasting on open fires oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I i I have not consumed any of these things really? in my life so
1: i've yeah. always I've always been a bit wary of chestnuts. I always used to be because to me, they look like conkers, and that always makes me think <laughs> of whoha it always makes me think of do you not know, have conkers over there you know you you go school playground, you know. I'm getting an education tonight for sure, Gore. Yeah, yeah. The horse yeah. horse chestnuts. They're sort of they're like chestnuts, but you you put you, <laughs> it sounds so bizarre. You 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 drill a hole through them and put string through them, and then children kind of swing them at each other and probably break. It sounds my childhood is so weird. It sounds like it. Um, I mean, I don't get don't get me wrong. I mean, playing with my conkers gave me hours of pleasure growing up, but we were always told don't eat them but but no, chestnuts are quite nice i don't mind chestnuts they're all right you know <laughs> I, I feel like in
2: uh in the states you're more likely to have uh, uh like raw walnuts with with your holiday meal like as something to put on uh, i cuz my household doesn't do it uh, my fam my family doesn't do that but i feel like there's this custom with some people where they actually have a bowl of Walnuts, and you'll add them to something. But I'm oh, yeah, like, yeah. I'm re- I'm really blanking on what what they get added to right now. So yeah. Oh, no. so oh, so you 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 into nuts over there? Uh, you know, I've been I've been known to hit the nut butter pretty hardcore. So, yeah,
1: <laughs> I can well believe it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're oh, yeah, no, definitely Christmas nuts. That's a uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, you, you, you're sitting in front of the telly with a big tin of Quality Street with your hand in a bowl of nuts. It's, that's, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's the bottomless nut bowl, girl. <laughs> oh, you went very, um, yeah, you went very camp there. <laughs> the- you're going to start calling me bitch next. Yeah, bitch. Gonna- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I- you, you throwing shade over me like that, honestly. <laughs> Oh dear, I think we should get on with our next film, I think um, <laughs> So, are you ready, Johnny, to talk about the next one? Oh, I am, I'm ready, Gore oh.
0: It freaked out that we are the only car on the road right now. It's 7 30 already, darling. Yes, I'm aware of that, Laura. I thought we'd come to a junction by now. Stop ah! I saw a woman in the forest. Cool, Dad's tripping out. Oh my god! What the hell was that? Ah! Ah! What are you talking about? I saw a in a car. Who are these people in the woods? Don't come over here for God's sake. I'm pregnant. I smoke pot. Talk about a merry fucking Christmas. What if she gets it first? No. Who? Lady in white. Don't worry, she's dead. Yeah! You bitch! Laura! What, <laughs> you just kidding! I'm gonna go now. Yeah.
1: right so dead end from 2003 so the general situation is we've got a family in a car going to see grandma for christmas and um the father has taken a different route to normal that's the setting um so we start the film in the car which i quite liked You know we start straight away we've got dad yep. and mum sister with her boyfriend and an annoying bratty brother they, they bicker, they have snappy dialogue between and with um, random homophobic insults thrown back and forth by the little brother and things. And, and they sing jingle bells, so all that sort of stuff. Um, they stop when they see a young woman in white with a baby on the side of the road. And they assume that she's been in some sort of accident because she doesn't speak. So they assume she's in shock and decide mm-hmm. to take her in the car to find a house to call for help, leaving the daughter alone to walk along the road. And they find a cabin in the woods, which should be a warning all of its own, shouldn't it, you find a cabin in the woods. And while they're while they're investigating the cabin in the woods and the boyfriend is left with the the woman and a baby, the brother decides to go and entertain himself up against a tree with a centre spread of Miss June. Um, as 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 you do, I'm sure, you know, when you're on a car journey. <laughs> we played ice buying car journeys before, too. No, it's not what we used to do. But anyway. <laughs> you know what, Gord? That, that,
2: that the tight confines of that car, you kind of need attention release of some kind. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go.
1: Yes. Thank you for that useful tip. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> not saying I've done this personally. Uh,
1: yeah, but. I wasn't. In, I wasn't. Yeah <laughs> um, Anyway so they've left the boyfriend in the car With this woman and her baby And she hands him the baby It's Amy Hey
0: A little girl Her name is Amy Oh She's so cold Yeah I'm not surprised It's freezing in here You older. No, no, I'm uh. I'm not really a baby kind of guy. Uh how does she breathe with all this
1: blanket on her face?
0: Don't worry. She's dead. <laughs>
1: So it reveals that the baby is dead and kind of sort of mangled and he screams and everyone runs back to the car and stops what they're doing, which includes the brother. So I assume that the scream kind of put him off his stroke, so to speak. (laughs) We next see a black hearse slowly going past on the road with the boyfriend in the back window kind of silently screaming to be let out. So we've got all these sort of creepy things um, starting to build up. So, how do you find the the opening section of Dead End, Johnny Numb?
2: You know, I think uh, it's really effective. I really love this movie. Um, it, I, I wish there were a better uh, home video release of it in the states. I don't know if there's a good one in uh, in other territories, um, but I just I think it's a fantastic movie that I watch every couple of years, and I totally forget it from you know, my previous viewing. So it's like, again, like Rare Exports, it's kind of like a surprise each time. Um, I love the character introduction. There's like a two minute opening before the title um, where yeah. it's, it's, it just gives you a really good impression of these characters and their attitudes and personalities. And I love the casting. Uh, Lynn Shay, I think, and Ray Wise have, these are probably, two of their best performances. Oh,
1: absolutely. They're, they're brilliant in this, both of them.
2: Yeah, so I really, right away, I was really, like, hooked hooked on it. And then when, you know, the opening credits, you know, give way to the proper events of the film, I was just totally on the hook. I loved what it does with the sense of, you know, isolation and not knowing what's going on. And, you know, and that's, that's established, like, firmly at the beginning of the film, and it just gets worse as it goes <laughs> along, so...
1: It does it really well, I think, this sort of, um, there's like a feeling of the isolation and at the same time claustrophobia as well, and I think it really does that well, because you've either, they're either in the car Mm -hmm. or just outside the car for almost the whole film, you know, and perpetual darkness it's night you've got this oppressive forest that just seems to go on forever and the road never ends and mm-hmm. there's some great shots overhead of the car going driving through the forest and stuff and it really puts across that creepy uh, that, that feeling It's a great atmosphere it, it creates i think it's, it's really good and plus you don't quite know what's going on there's all these strange pieces of a puzzle that you're given bit by bit you don't quite know how they fit together but you know it's not good.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, the way I would describe this movie just overall, it's like an extended Twilight Zone episode. Um mm, yeah. And and it's and it's really as as good as a as good as a Twilight one of the better Twilight Zone episodes because it really hones in on the 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 characters because what else are you going to do? You got the situation, so you got to have the characters kind of you know, behaving in an interesting or believable way. There's a lot of humor in this movie, but there's also a there lot is, of yeah. But there's also a lot of really dark moments that kind of uh, took me off guard the last time I watched it. Um, I, I really think it's yeah, it's it's very simple, simple in its setup, but yes, it, it goes yeah. you know from one sequence to the next and you're it's you're still kind of taken back by where it goes and Mm. you know and you know the the certain logic the characters try to grasp at to to get a handle on the situation to try to get it to make sense even as it increasingly seems to make less and less sense
1: yeah yeah absolutely and i love that they they use a kind of a, a less is more approach when it comes to the the horror, the gore, and stuff. Because I mean, the next thing that happens in the story is that the family try to follow this this hearse. Mm-hmm. But while they're while they're trying to follow it, they find the the boyfriend's mutilated body, and you don't actually see it. What all you see is like a from the point of view of the body looking up. Yeah. their reactions. And I think that works really well because it makes you use your imagination to figure out what's happening. And I think that's far more scary than anything that a makeup person could create. Um, You know, you just don't know what's going on. The only clues you're given are things like um, uh, the... (laughs) The, there's a scene where the dad is poking the body with a stick <laughs> in order to get the phone from it right um I, I did like that the brother comes along and just picks it up with his hands because I suppose they could already do with a good wash bearing in mind where he's been and good. what he's been up to good um but when they pick up the phone it's still got the ear attached <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that's kind of a bit of the humour that it has as well, it's, but it's, it's simple, but it just makes you imagine whatever is on the floor in front of the characters as being a whole lot worse because of that. Um, yeah. so, yeah, so anyway, we, we've got that and more mysterious things happen. The mum tries to use the phone and all she can hear is a woman in distress on the other end of the phone crying for help. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't say anything about that. But anyway, they, they set off and they notice a road sign to somewhere called Marcotte, yes. which doesn't appear in any road maps. They also notice that there are no other cars on the road and the watches have all stopped at 7.30. Mm hmm. Further on the road, you find a baby, a baby carriage, they call it, which is, of course, a pram to those of us um, over here <laughs> in the road. And they stop. And then the, the the brother is a jerk again and pretends he's being attacked by something, you know, which reminds me of those It's Alive films. I wonder if you've been watching those, you know. I was,
2: I was, I was going to say, yeah,
1: yeah. And there are other things like they when they try and play the car radio, you hear child crying sort of noises and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, They have a tyre blowout and there's some tension between the family there where the daughter suddenly blurts out that she's pregnant and the son admits to smoking pot. (laughs) Um, It's a very kind of funny scene. It's a weird scene. Mm -hmm. Um, There's all sorts of revelations come out in this. And uh, the son goes off to smoke a joint in the woods um, and then meets this woman in white who promptly drops her clothes and bites his bottom lip off. Mm-hmm. And the next thing we see with them is the hearse going past again, this time with the brother um, sort of waving out the back window and crying for help. Mm-hmm. This causes Lin Shay's character, the mother, to become a bit hysterical as they try and pursue the car. Yes. Um, but while they're pursuing the car, as before, they suddenly find the corpse on the way, which is what we gather has been badly burnt and again we don't see it all we see is just an an arm and a hand just a hand basically Mm. sitting up you know that's all we see of this and it's a really great way of saving a lot of money for the makeup budget oh yeah um but it is so much more nasty than than you know because you're imagining all this and um they put the corpse in the back of the car and the daughter unwraps a gift to use, which is a shotgun. So we're given a gift as a shotgun. So um, just in case we forgot, this is set in America.
2: <laughs> what is it? Ray Wise says, uh, God, God bless the gun nut. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then then um, the mother character is stuffing her face with pumpkin and chocolate pie and seems to have completely lost it by this. Point. Mm-hmm. Um Dad does a nice bit of a storytelling where he recalls a story about a couple, a young couple, one of these sort of urban myth type things. A young couple pick up a young girl, um, but when they hear a scream and stop the car, the girl vanishes, and they find her school book in the car and see her name, and it's revealed that the family is, was killed in a car accident on the same spot. So mm-hmm. it's a nice little sort of uh is it uh telling you what's coming, or is it a bit of a red herring? But it's an interesting little little touch
2: you know what uh some uh, some comments on the family dynamics um yeah yeah that i kind of liked is how the uh, daughter um whose name is marion played by alexandra holden um she wants to break up with her boyfriend brad um that's right you know and she she announces that she's pregnant and it's weird because for a a stretch of the film she's pretty much catatonic um yeah and she's not talking and then i like how there's a sort of role reversal where she has to step up and almost be like the mother figure or be the figure of confidence Ooh. because Ooh. Lin lynn shay is totally going off the deep end um so she it kind of forces her to be strong despite how she's feeling uh with her disposition and everything and she even has to tell her you know dad played by ray wise she test to take the liquor bottle out of his mouth and say, you know, alcohol is just going to make you more scared if you're already scared. So just these little, these little maternal details kind of, that kind of figure into the film at large, kind of these exchanging of roles between Mm. parents Mm. and their children and and such.
1: Um, Yeah. So mum continues acting strangely. She vomits up the pie and some crisps. um, Not surprisingly. She then finds the gun that we talked about and assumes it's a toy and starts sort of waving it around and ends up shooting the father in the leg. Although, to be fair, <laughs> he was really annoying just before that because he kind of lost his patience with her and just started shouting at her. Right. So I can kind of don't really blame her um, and leaves the daughter to dress the, the wound. There's other bits and pieces happen including the mother starts to talk in a very odd sexual way to the father in one scene um about how uh, you know do to me what you exactly what you want and stuff like this i think that's in response to the conversation about the affair and stuff like this yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah but interestingly while they're driving along at one point mother the mother says who are those people in the woods
0: There's something that's been bothering me ever since I woke up. What? Who are these people in the woods? Honey, slow down. They're, they're waving. <laughs> Hi. Oh, my goodness. Why do they look so sad? This is Christmas Eve. Smile.
3: They teach you what to do in this kind of a situation,
0: not to panic. <laughs> Frank, do you really need to suck on that bottle like that? Frank! It's Janine! Quick, stop the car! Who is Janine? She's my friend! Who died 20 years ago. Yes, and, and what exactly is your point? She's dead. So? So, drop it! Well, if the dead are alive, maybe we should check on Richard. Are you crazy? Why, you think he's comfortable stuffed in the back like that? Mom, if he was alive don't you think we would hear him your brother was burned alive how could he talk shut up laura easy dad okay she's driving me crazy
1: so again is this foreshadowing or is this something else or is this the mother's mental health or you know what is this but she decides to she wants to go and see her friend and jumps out of the moving car and promptly vanishes just as the hearse appears um but the father starts shooting at it um <laughs> with this gun, it retreats, and then we get mother kind of staggering towards them, looking very, you know, battered and uh, and all this, mm-hmm. and has this very very weird scene. Um, oh, hats off to Lin Lin Shay for this scene. Yeah, where she she starts kind of, I don't know how you can put this. She's fondling her grey matter. She is yes, her brain is exposed at the back of her head, and she starts fondling it yeah and then starts enjoying fondling it um yeah yeah she has a quite a good time with that and um yes yeah, very weird to see but lynch oh, went up in my estimation so much then um and then we have a, another thing where dad tries to kill himself with a shotgun and uh he talks about a friend of his who had asked for advice about a married woman he was seeing and it's obvious that that's that's his wife that uh, is the married woman and, and so right. on right um so we've we've lost mother by this time they travel further on and they still haven't arrived at where they're supposed to be. It's by this time it's father and daughter. Mm-hmm. And for some reason I can't remember why, they decide to leave the car and go walking through the woods instead. And while they walk in, they, they basically end up back at the car again because they see lights, head yeah. for it, and it's the car. Yeah. But the question is who turned on the headlights? And the only person around is the mother who's in the back of the seat with the blanket over her. Mm-hmm. Um, they they also see the same cabin as they saw before and there's a great little scene where they the whole thing is lit with just matches And I thought that was really effective. You know, the whole scene inside the cabin in complete darkness, just lit by matches. I thought that was really good. The daughter arrives at the cabin to find the the father losing it inside and smashing things up in it. And he says, we're damned and mentions a fog and there isn't a fog, you know, and slaps and punches the daughter and knocks her out and puts her in the car next to the mother. I'm wondering whether this would be a good point to stop describing what happens because there are some really big... Events that happen. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, I think I agree with that. Did you see the this sort of main twist? Did you get that before it was revealed? If you see what I mean.
2: Um, when I when I was watching this movie for the first time, um, I totally didn't didn't see what was coming. Um, I, yeah, I was kind of swept up in the whole. Uh, this tends to be how I often. Uh, when i'm watching a movie i'm more like the uh i'm more like the just do what you will to me kind of and i'm here for the ride i'm not here to um, god you sound like my kind of man yeah (laughs) I, i i'm not here i'm not here to figure out the movie it's kind of your job to you know guide me along and and,
1: entertain me uh, uh, me just sit here and i'm like that people say how did you not see it coming i was just watching it and enjoying it i wasn't trying to work it out
2: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly that's kind of that that's that's totally how i am i'm usually so if it's a good movie i'll be intoxicated by the
1: the, the performances, the visuals. Yeah. And if, it, yeah. if it's a bad movie, you'll just be intoxicated. Probably the best way. We're going back to Zombie Lake again. Oh,
2: pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. That, that that
1: lake was filled with vodka, actually, or the swimming the pool that was substituted for the with lake. Filled something. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of things in that swimming pool that were. It didn't <laughs> look very – I wouldn't want to swim in there. <laughs> I would say it's probably pretty unhygienic, yeah. But, yes, it it's, it has quite a big twist. And I think when I was watching it, I kind of fell into the trap of assuming. And I think it deliberately does that. I think it deliberately, it, it throws enough red herrings at you to make you assume it's one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not really. It's something else. And I, I quite liked that. And how the kind of weird jigsaw pieces all came together to form a picture that wasn't the one you had in mind. <laughs>
2: When it's a movie like this, when when I can tell they're kind of building towards something, but I don't know what it is. A lot hinges on what you do with that ending, because if that's not a good ending, then it's going to devalue the rest of the movie, basically. Um, Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, we've sat through lots of movies that have really good setup, good second and third act, and then they totally totally screw it on the – on the landing at the very end, so this one, yeah, this one does a really good job, I think, of bringing everything together in a way that's like, ah, oh, that's that's clever, and you know, it it works because all those characters are so well defined and their interactions are so great, and it kind of ties it all back to family in the end in an interesting way. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. Did, in answer to your question, I did not see where it was going, and I kind of loved where it went yeah in the
1: end me too Uh, same really i i mean looking at other people's comments about this and reviews about this um a lot of people seem to see the ending as the weakest point in it but i don't actually i i liked it i didn't see what it wasn't obvious what was happening i didn't guess what was going to happen or anything like that mm-hmm. but it just kind of made sense and i like that kind of thing it's like uh watching a good agatha christie when none of it seems to make sense and then all of a sudden at the end aha yeah that's why this happened that's why and it, it just fits together and i found that very satisfying <laughs> I, I i really enjoyed it it's a sort of in my it finishes and i had a smile on my face and i thought I enjoyed that. And I think and I think something else about that ending gore is it
2: kind of retains that sort of dark sense of humor that the the rest of the film has and I kind of think it's, you know, that that's why it kind of is complementary to what everything else we've seen because there's a bit of that eh, ha, ha, kind of going on but it's not smug or anything like that. It's just no, it's, it's just very yeah. it's just very appropriate and it fits really well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. This was a good, I mean, overall, I think all three of them were, were very good, actually. um, You didn't surprise me by, by chucking something my way <laughs> that I didn't like. So I, I'm pleased about that. But I enjoyed all three films. It was good. Very yeah, good choices. As did I. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, before we go, I'm going to play a couple of promos for other podcasts I really like. Now, one of them would be The Last Knock, but of course, you haven't got a promo, or if you have, you haven't given it to me. So I can't play that one, but just have to imagine that one as well.
0: All I know is today's October the thirty first. Thirty one backwards is thirteen. It's Friday. It's Halloween. It's the thirteenth anniversary of the Lawnmower Killings.
3: It's a crazy loose. It's prom night.
0: Hi, this is
2: Tracy Savage, Debbie from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. For the best podcast ever on old slasher movies, be sure you find Hysteria Continues. You will be glad you did. And hey, stay
0: out of Crystal Lake, okay?
1: Every episode, we celebrate a classic slasher movie, such as Friday the 13th, Halloween, My Bloody Valentine, Happy Birthday to Me, and uh, Crazy for Ethel 2. The hysteria continues, bringing Slash with Panache since 2011. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all good podcatchers aren't tv movies fun
3: you see all these familiar faces but doing really unfamiliar things and i think that that's really exciting and i think that's something important
0: to the history of film in general join amanda there's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men so i'm just telling you i think there was a little brokeback mountain <laughs>
3: <laughs> dad i think Therese is a little bipolar her voice it goes from this
1: sort of s- sexy sensuous voice to okay ramsey get out of here <laughs> And Date. I love, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s The crazier a person got, the bigger their hair got
0: (laughs) (laughs) As they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies
1: Mr. Hazel
0: (laughs) On the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show This man came to see him, he never comes to see him at work (laughs) What kind of stories could he have to tell him?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tales of his postal delivery right well that's all for this episode first off i'd like to thank my very lovely guest johnny num thank you for joining me thank you gore and where can the listeners find you online johnny um you can find me at
2: crash you can find my movie reviews there and also links to the last knock podcast or you can find it on itunes as well um and you can find me on twitter and letterboxd at johnny Numb. there are no
1: h's in those Johnnies. I love that. Every time you say that, it amuses me because um, I don't know if I should tell you, but um, no, it just amuses me because when you say there are no H's, no John's, I don't know what the H's mean, but over here, um, a Johnny is a thing. Um, (laughs) Up until the mid 80s, Johnny was the main word, the most popular word people would use for condoms. Um, A Johnny or a rubber Johnny. I think I have heard that. Yeah. So being of a certain age, when someone talks about some, you know there not know h's in those johnny in that johnny it has a, it just makes me smile anyway but anyway that's by the by. um you know gore
2: um have you heard the expression rubber wobbly because i've heard that expression oh
1: god no is that a expression over there Not one I've heard of. That sounds quite... If somebody somebody mentioned that, I think that would be an instant passion killer. (laughs) They're going to get their rubber wobbly out. It's like, "Mm, thank you very much. Suddenly remembered I'm doing my hair or something like that. No, thank you. No, no, I don't think we have any funny names for. Well, there probably are some funny names, but no, that's what I was all grown up with. It's uh, Johnny, okay. But uh, and then it became condom in the eighties when you know all the, you know, where a condom adverts and things on the telly used to come on. So you
2: know, go for for as bad as it sounds for me, I I like Johnny better than condom.
1: So well, it would be awful saying condom numb. People wouldn't <laughs> know what sort of show they're listening to. So I hope you would <laughs> The Last Knock with with Billy Crash and Condom Numb. (laughs) sounds like a condition but anyway <laughs> 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 so thanks also to kevin mcleod at incompetech.com for the music the show must be go and most of all thank you yes you for listening i've been Gore Blimey, and you can find me on twitter at i am Blimey or on the trilogy of terror facebook page i hope you're having a great christmas or whatever else you're celebrating at this time of year and i'll be back soon bye <laughs>
0: i